Welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. So welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell podcast. Uh, my name is uh, Paul. And my name is Stefan. Hi, Stefan. How are you today? I'm pretty well, Paul. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, you know I'd like to just say knock, knock. Who's there? Don't know. <laughs> What's a good knock, knock joke? Man. Are there good <laughs> knock, knock jokes? I don't know. There's like orange. How do you not? Uh, you got to do that. Knock, knock. Uh Who's there? Orange. Orange who? Wait, I think I screwed that up. <laughs> oh, wow. We're re- really great. So then what are we talking about today? Uh, uh, I know what it is. It's knock, knock. Uh, who's there? Banana. Banana who? Banana. Banana who? Banana. Banana who? Orange. Orange who? Orange, you glad I didn't say banana? Okay, so um, huh? we're... Huh? Uh, yeah, we're um, anybody. We're both, we are both obviously very skilled uh, uh, jokesters. Oh yeah, and that is why we are talking about humor today in storytelling. Yeah, that's clearly we are the two people to talk about it, uh, yeah. as we've demonstrated already. So, uh, everyone, you're welcome for our expertise. Yes, and uh, this is something that's come up before. You know, a lot yeah. is that uh, uh, you know how to be not how to be funny. We don't. Tell, we clearly tell. should not be we telling people how to be funny. Yeah, um, but 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 I guess maybe uh, when to be funny is maybe a good place to start in. Yeah, and you know a storytelling context. Exactly, and how to use and I think you can use humor in a way that uh, that backs up your 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 original story, or you can sort of use humor that sort of takes away from uh, from your original story. We discussed this a lot actually in previous episodes about the concept of people sometimes when they when they are get nervous they'll start going for jokes, right. you know, and it'll become more of a stand-up bit, and they'll, they'll start chasing down these little odd bits of jokes that doesn't actually sort of lead back to the whole. Well, and, and also uh, that it's nice when people laugh. Right, yeah, people and, like hearing you, other people laugh. You like it, so then sometimes you could tend to, like you're saying, chase those laughs, and it's like, no, no, no. no. Yeah, get back to the story. Get back to the story. Yeah. Um, but I, our storyteller for today does this very well. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. So Rhaenyra is telling us a story, uh, and she's told a couple stories at her events before. Yes. Um, and in she, something, she always kind of kills it. Yeah. And yeah. something, something about it, some, it works. I think often because I get, I, I think if you're going to use humor, you have to understand how and why you're using humor, right? You have to understand the 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 overarching goal of how you want people to feel at the end of the story, and then use humor to lead towards that goal. Yes. I think that sort of, that process is actually very important. And, and I, I, I feel like the driving force should be the story mm-hmm. and not the, you know, if you're trying to get jokes or it's a funny scenario, it, it shouldn't, I, I think if you do your job, if it is, it, you know, a funny scenario and you do sort of your job and you work it out, I think the, the jokes can be embedded uh, along the lines, mm-hmm. and I and I think they um, they just become for me they're more effective. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think especially if they're part of the if you really and the more you can get them as to be a part of the story without sort of taking a step back and being like winking at the audience, right? The more effective they are, I think, in that context. Um, but then when you're when you're doing a more serious story, then humor almost has the opposite of, of value. Then you want to so, then then there's some value in actually doing a bit of a wink at the audience to sort of be like it's okay. You know, as like, a release, as a release, exactly, yeah, yeah. and then that can be very effective too. If you get a point, near, like near, you know, as you're building up the climax, that things are getting worse and worse, you can, if you can give them a little bit of that, it will let you sort of then keep going. 
Well, I can tell you when uh, I have a story for you when all of this backfires. Mm. Uh, I think so. So when I tell um, like a more humorous story, uh, part of it is that I uh, I think I have a uh, more on a dry sense of humor. Yes. And uh, maybe sarcastic even at times. And um, it seems that usually uh, I'm speaking to people that have a similar sense of humor. And I did this show uh, last year and um, I went up on stage and within about 30 seconds, I realized that everybody thought I was being completely serious. Right. They weren't, they weren't picking up on that. You were trying to, you, you didn't do enough of a wink to the audience or anything. Right. They were sort of just like, oh, well, this is an interesting scenario. Totally my fault. <laughs> However, what is weird is that basically the exact same story at another event totally killed it from the start. Mm. So it was interesting to me and I racked my brain of just like, what happened? Because that was a long 10 minutes well yeah if you're trying to tell a funny story that no one understands is supposed to be funny yeah like that's that is like because that, that, that's not even that's not even failing at telling like jokes because then people know you're trying to be funny and they get it at least they under, but this is like an extra level of just completely not understanding anything yeah. failing at life in general <laughs> basically for those 10 minutes but it, you know it's just sort of a, interesting to me then because why uh you know people like to say that it's easier to get laughs in storytelling because, you know, it's the almost the opposite. We're at a comedy show. You're walking up on stage and the audience is like, okay, make me laugh. Right. Where it's more unexpected or more, um, you know, it's not a requirement of getting up and doing the storytelling part of it. Yeah, totally. And, and so it's definitely a uh, trying to find the right, you know, balance if we can do a call back to two episodes ago. Yeah. Um, of, of when and how to use humor mm-hmm. um, in is, is a, is very important, obviously. Um, and especially when it, and I think in this context, when I think if you don't know why you're telling the joke, then you probably might want to cut that joke. Yeah. You know, like I think, I think that's the thing. If you, if you can't tell me why that joke or why that thing, that thing ha- exists and how it leads to the ultimate sort of goal of the story, then you might, you might want to check in on yourself again and be like, is this just sort of like a throwaway line is, and is it necessary for the ultimate goal here? Or, or can I actually find a way to better, you know, massage it into the story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely a thing that to me, you know, you, you, you need to be careful of because you, uh, there's just like we've talked about in some of these previous uh, episodes that we've been doing for this round is is that you again this is a thing we've talked about many times before is that anything that's not necessary anything that again it might be important to you you know sometimes you got to get rid of it and I think sometimes uh, you can get hung up on a joke and you go I really like that right yeah yeah but if it doesn't it it might I think it would sometimes just not work because it just doesn't work within the context of the story that you're trying to do. Yeah, totally. Um, and well, so uh, let's let's hear someone uh, do a good job of this. Yeah, <laughs> a great job because the the story is her stories are always there is already there they're kind of there's a funny element to them anyways. Yeah, and then uh, you know her amazing sense of humor just sort of gets layered on top of that. Uh, so take it away, Rhaenyra. 
was born in South Africa. My parents moved us here in 1987 to escape apartheid and to give us opportunities. But strangely enough, I found myself going back to South Africa to seek opportunities. It was 2011 and I was in the second year of the occupational therapy program at the University of Western Ontario in London. The program required us to do four clinical placements, one of which could be done abroad. So naturally, I chose South Africa as my destination, and I did my internship in pediatric neurosurgery at the Krutsky Hospital in Cape Town. Now to get to work every day, I had to climb a mountain. Not a real mountain, but a hill that had quite the incline, and I'm disinclined to inclines. <laughs> and I had to do this every morning to arrive by 7 a.m., after which I worked six hours with children before I even had lunch. Not to mention, temperatures in the region approached on a Celsius scale, something close to plus lava. <laughs> all in all, the entire experience was just a little more intense than, I don't know, starting a car once a week. <laughs> Let me explain what I mean by this. So I realized, you know, I'm going to be gone for three winter months, so maybe it would be a good idea to see if I could get one of my friends to keep my car in a garage or in a covered parking spot since my building didn't have covered parking. Luckily, my friend, who just happened to live next door, was able to do it. Perfect. All she had to do was start the car once a week. It was parked right there, right under her apartment. She had the keys and she had clear instructions. But most importantly, she was happy to do it. Now, had she actually been starting the car once a week, I wouldn't have returned from South Africa to find my car had vanished. I mean, I would have expected that in South Africa, but not here. The first time I circled her building's parking lot like a frantic ostrich, I reasoned that I was just not seen straight. The car was there, I just had to find it. It was kind of like a game, fun. But as I kept circling and circling and circling, I realized that the car was simply not there. She had given me the keys earlier that morning, so I knew she couldn't be currently using it. I started to panic, especially since it wasn't actually my car, it was my brother's, and he still doesn't know the story. <laughs> I remember standing there, paralyzed on the sidewalk, not knowing what to do next. Oh, Sasipo. I whip out my Motorola razor. It was 2011, <laughs> and I called the police. After explaining the situation and giving them the license plate, they told me exactly what happened to my car. It had been towed away two months ago because it was parked in somebody else's designated spot. Now in my head, I'm thinking two months it's been gone for two months and she had no idea. Or, or, she did know, but she just didn't want to tell me. I'm thinking, oh, Sasipo, oh, Sasipo. I whip out my Motorola razor and I call her because I have to know which one of those two scenarios was correct. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, good. Um, quick question. 
just wondering, when was the last time you started my car? Oh, um, yeah, I think about two weeks ago. Oh, sure. In what magical land does two months equal two weeks? Maybe she was having such a glorious time not paying attention to life that she felt that the past 60 days was actually a fortnight. I mean, that happens, right? You know, when you're on vacation, you're having fun, and the days, they just fly on by. Except this girl was not on vacation. So I tell her. Yeah, so actually, the reason why I'm asking is because the car is gone. Well, what do you mean it's gone? I mean, it's gone like it's not there. So you're sure you started it two weeks ago, right? Oh, uh, well, I meant that I saw it two weeks ago. Okay, well, I'm just gonna say it. I called the police and they told me that the car was actually towed away two months ago. Oh my God, wow. Um, you know what? Oh. I must have seen a car that looked just like it. <laughs> this conversation was very clearly not productive, so I decided to put a pause on whatever was going on with her and instead channel my positive energy into finding this vehicle. Now, luckily, my friend Andrew was able to give me a ride to the car lot, but he had to get back to class. And so there I was alone. I was in the middle of nowhere. I mean, this place was off of a highway somewhere outside of the city, and there was nothing surrounding it but fields of snow. So I step into the winter, and I feel like I am Frodo or one of those hobbits about to embark on a major journey, except my prize is my car, which really shouldn't have found its way here in the first place. I'm greeted with a bill of $1,400. After explaining to the guy that I was out of the country for three months, I left it with my friend, I had no idea it was towed. He dropped it to 900. And he tells me, you know, go outside, there's this guy there, and just follow him, he'll take you to your car. I said, okay. So, I go outside and I see this guy, he's wearing these baggy pants and this oversized hoodie, and I start to follow him as he walks. To ease the awkwardness, I make small talk. Hey, so uh, it's pretty nice weather for winter, hey? I guess. Um, so do you spend most of your day outside? Well, yeah, but I don't even know. It's not like I keep track of my hours. Oh, um, and do you get, ever get bored out here? Uh, I'm gonna have to say yeah, cause like everyone gets bored sometime, right? <laughs> right. I realized, you know, we've been walking for quite some time and we haven't reached the car yet. So I ask him, hey, uh, are we almost there? Almost where? Uh. Almost to my car. I don't know. What are you talking about? Oh, I thought you were taking me to my car. It's in one of these lots out here. I don't know. I thought you was just joining me on my walk. I suddenly pictured my dead body in the snowbank 
I'm thinking, oh, Sasipo, oh, Sasipo, oh, Sasipo, and I'm clutching my Motorola razor. But then I realize, you know what? This situation is probably a lot creepier for him than it is for me. So after we say some very awkward goodbyes, I walk back and I find the right guy. And now he takes me through this large shed before he warns me about the dogs. So once again, I open the shed door and I step out into the winter. And these three large wildebeest start bolting in my direction. And I started to wonder if I really wasn't in the Fellowship of the Rings because these beasts were not of the earth. My heart rate that afternoon probably surpassed whatever peak zone I reached climbing that mountain in South Africa. Now thankfully the guy was able to call the dogs away and I rush back inside the shed. He comes in and he says, oh sorry, I forgot to ask if you're afraid of dogs. <laughs> I didn't know how to tell him that these creatures were probably not purely dogs but some kind of hybrid of dog and dinosaur. So I just said, yeah, a little. No problem, he says. He'll just put them away. So he goes back out, and I keep the door open just a crack so I can see what's going on outside. I watch as he puts these three dogs in this minivan, and he closes the door most of the way and then beckons for me to come back outside. Once again, I open the shed door, and I step out into the winter. And as I'm very cautiously walking towards this guy, I just get the sense that these dogs are not finished with me. And one of them slyly opens the door and they all start chasing me again. Now in South Africa, many people keep large dogs as a form of defense in case someone tries to break in, which is actually very probable. I'm always very cautious around these dogs and yet they've never attacked me. And now, here I am in Canada, which may I remind you, my parents brought us to all those years ago to escape crime and violence, running for my life while trying to retrieve a missing vehicle. Now, obviously, I survived because I'm here. The guy was able to properly detain the dogs, and I got my car back. I drove it back to the city, and my friend ended up giving me half of the money, which was pretty nice of her. I wasn't really angry about the car or the money I lost. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was definitely irritated and definitely flabbergasted, but I wasn't angry at a core level. And the reason for this was that I had just finished a very challenging internship with kids who were very sick. These kids were all poor. Many of them had been sexually assaulted. Many of them had HIV. And those weren't even the reasons why they were admitted to that ward. They were there because they had tumors or had been in car accidents or other kinds of accidents. And so compared to their problems, my problems seemed very small. One child in particular, Sisipo, loved to make people smile. And anytime one of the other children were scared or anytime they were upset, he would run to that person and he would make funny faces and do crazy things to try to get them to smile. And the response was always laughter followed by, oh, Sasipo. <laughs> and so now anytime I'm frustrated with life, which happens, I try to remember and anytime I experience a dwindled dawn. <laughs> I try, 
I try to remember these children, I try to remember Sasipo, and I try not to worry. Thank you. <laughs> Subscribe to the Stories We Don't Tell podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about the podcast, blog, and live events, find us on Facebook or visit storieswedonttell.org. This episode of the Stories and Tell podcast is brought to you by Paul's Disinterest. Paul's Disinterest, worth every penny. <laughs>